The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. This episode is called hair razor, just because flying in such a confined space, so many people, you know, a lot of drama happens. When I come home from a trip, a friend will ask, you know, so how was your trip? And I'll say, oh, it was good. It was uneventful. (laughs) So in my job, uneventful translates to good, because eventful can be stressful, can be hair raising, it can get crazy. But those, you know, make for better stories. They're funnier. So in this episode, we've got all kind of crazy stuff. We've got underwear falling off. We've got swearing, puking, burning smells, people yelling. At the end of the episode, we even have a ticking bomb. But uh, we also have some hair stories. So we've got hair raising stories and hair stories. So it's just like a hairy, harried episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. <laughs> at a previous airline this uh, pretty senior co-pilot was telling me the story he was flying with this captain who was constantly giving him dual instruction during his trip and this is a senior co-pilot on the 727 he'd been on the airplane for 12 or 15 years he knew what he was doing very experienced and this captain kept saying stuff you know hey I, I think you should start slowing down now I think you should start your descent now. Uh, you, I think you need to lower your flaps now. You know, constantly, you know, telling him stuff to do. Yeah, that he already knew that. You know, and um, so every time, after a little of this, you know, the co-pilot started to write down things that the captain would say. So the captain would say, "Hey, you need to lower your flaps now." So the co-pilot would pull out a, a little piece of paper and write something on it and put it back in his pocket. And this is a four-day trip. And after the end of the four-day trip, you know, this kept going on. So the last leg back to the base, the co-pilot gets up to go to the bathroom, and he leaves this little piece of paper up on the glare shield, and the captain's curious. So he's trying to figure out what he's writing on this thing. So he picks up the piece of paper, and it says, F-U, 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 down the whole sheet of paper. <laughs> So the captain put it back up there and didn't say a word the rest of the flight into the base. <laughs> this is one of those moments. 141 story happened to another captain friend of mine who's flying 141s in the Air Force. They'd go down to Fort Benning, Georgia, and the paratroopers all get in their jump wings. They jump out of the back of the 141. 
I did not. Not jumped out of the 141, no, thank you. Jumping out of a perfectly good airplane is sort of like practicing bleeding. I've done it. I've done it. Very exciting, but go ahead. Uh, but anyway, so they were, what was happening was that they'd, they'd take off, they'd fly for a little while, come back over the drop zone, the troopers would all run out. Well, we had the loadmasters on our airplane that were kind of like, oh, I guess you could say they're kind of a flight attendant in a way, but they were the ones that loaded the airplane and all the cargo, and they were kind of the ones in charge back there. And, they, and since they were back there with open doors, they wore reserve chutes just in right. case they'd fall out. And so the last few guys going out of the airplane thought it was just hilarious to grab these loadmasters and just throw them out as they went out. You know, the loadmasters scared, you know, just really scared. They, they didn't like this at all. So this happened a couple of times. Isn't it kind of mean? Yeah, it is kind of mean. You know, so these guys really weren't trained for this, and they were doing this. And so the aircraft commander of the 141, his loadmaster's getting thrown out. He's getting mad at this, and he tries to go through channels, and they say, oh, don't worry about it, whatever. So they concocted up this scheme where they were going to stop this. So they, it was in the summer, it's hot, they're low altitude, it's bumpy. They take off, you know, about 140, I don't know how many we could take. It seems like it was about 140 paratroopers. They're all lined up on these jump seats. I mean, it's not airline passenger seats. You're on side rails along the side, and then in the middle, everybody's sitting kind of side by side, facing you know, sideways, and they they hook it up, captain and the co-pilot flying the airplane at low altitude, bumpy, they turn the heat way up, so it's hot in the back, and then they sit and fishtail the airplane, and they start getting, everybody's getting really sick, you know, just, you know, really feeling awful, they're flying it, you know, making them, just, just making them sick, well, one of the loadmasters makes this big scene, like he's getting sick too. And he runs in the lavatory. They have this little tiny lavatory at the front. And he had some vegetable soup and in a clear plastic bag. And he goes in there with this, and he has the vegetable soup already in the plastic bag. And he comes out looking grim, and it's all tied off. And he has them pass it all the way down to throw out the paratroop doors off the side. And so everybody sees this. And it's going all the way back, and it's chunky, and it, and it's going all the way to the back, and the other loadmaster is going to throw it out the window. Well, he takes it, looks at it, looks at it for a minute, opens it up, and just slurps it down. And they said all, said about half of these t- battle-hardened, tough b- jump guys were taking their helmets off and puking into the, into their helmets. They go over the drop zone. Everybody's so sick. Nobody jumps, which is really a big deal. So they come back and land. You know, the colonel and the I don't know the general, the army guys. You know what happened? How come? What's going on here? How come nobody jumped? I and mean, this is a really big deal because everybody's sick. Nobody goes out the airplane, and the aircraft commander in the 141 just walks in and says, "This is going to happen every time to you. Promise me, my loadmasters are not going to get thrown out of the airplane anymore." End of problem. This freeze frame won't come again. No, it won't. So I was on a layover in New Orleans. I actually love New Orleans. And um, if you haven't ever been there, especially in the summer, it is hot and humid. And my hair 
Like when I'm on vacation in these tropical places, I turn into like a, I have a blonde afro. Or sometimes it's not that bad, but depending on my haircut, it'll like wing out of the side. So it gets kind of big, big blonde hair. <laughs> so I am walking up and down Bourbon Street with two pilots and one other flight attendant. And we were looking for a place to listen to some live music, have a drink. And uh, the two pilots say to me, hey, stick your head in there and see if it's a gay bar. Because they weren't interested in a gay bar. And there is a gay section of Bourbon Street. So they, they're making me do the dirty work. You know, stick your head in there and see if it's a gay bar. So I stick my head in and there's a comedian on the stage, a gay guy. So it was a gay bar. And he says to me, well, he says to the whole bar, he said, what are you looking for? A hairdresser? Because you need one. <laughs> the other flight attendant was just mortified for me because she was thinking, how embarrassing to have this whole bar making fun of your hair. But you know what? I I am perfectly willing to always make fun of myself. So I could have cared less. He was right. I, I could have used a hairdresser probably more than I could have used a drink. You kind of like a solar eclipse, baby. And I don't want to close my Oh, it's, it's uh, from ages ago. I was still a co-pilot, and we had stopped in uh, in Atlanta to, you know, drop off some people and pick up some others, and we're, it's about 10.30 at night, and everybody was tired, so I'm standing in the doorway saying goodbye to the folks who are getting off in Atlanta, and we're going to jump over to Huntsville or something to lay over. And the pastor coming up, getting off, and there's kind of a break in traffic, and, and there's a lady coming up the aisle, and about the time she uh, steps you know, through the divider from coach into first, she's wearing this dress, kind of a, I don't know, baggy dress or something. And about the time she crosses into first class, her panties fall down around her ankles. She kind of trips over him and looks down, has this puzzled look on her face, and kind of got her hobble, so she steps out of him, picks him up, stuffs him in her pocket, walks it off and says, Good night. <laughs> And the flight attendant who's standing next to me saying bye to him just goes, hmm. And I went, no, that couldn't have been. She said, I don't know. They had leg holes, whatever they were. <laughs> well, that gets everybody started telling stories about, you know, things like that that happen on the airplane. And I said, that's the best one I've ever seen. And flight attendant. Was she, was she no, about medium build. You know, it's almost like it yeah, had to be. I don't know. I have no idea. You know, it's almost like she had to plan it. I mean, how, how do they fall down without you knowing? But I told the flight attendant, like I said, that's it's a new one on me. And this flight attendant said, oh, no, i got a better story than that. Several have made stories, but she said the best one I ever had was a gal, real nice, distinguished lady. They were flying from Bermuda back to New York. And this lady had been out there on vacation Ladies, a paying first-class passenger, real distinguished, just the nicest lady in the whole world to work with on the way back. She's real, real pleasant. And she said, we're, um, we're getting off, and she's wearing this outfit. It's kind of an island thing with one of those wraparound skirts that wraps around a couple of times and ties. And she said, lady just stays there for a while, and there's kind of a break in the traffic getting off. And she stands up in first class, reach up in the overhead bin to get her suitcase down, and whatever was holding the skirt on, let go. It fell right to the floor, and she's wearing not a stitch underneath it. And she said, the lady just about freaks out, put her back in the seat and throw a blanket on her. And, and she said, the lady completely recovered her composure. By the time everybody gets off, she stands up, gets her bag down and looks at me and goes, that's, that's why your mother teaches you to wear underwear. <laughs> anyway, paratroop training uh, one night, 
our instructors did a night jump in Georgia, and they they jumped out in a heavily wooded area. And one of the instructors, whose whose nickname was The Rock, jumped, and he got stuck in a tree. And it was a dark night in Georgia. And anyway, uh, when you get stuck in a tree, uh, what they teach you to do is take off your helmet, drop it, count a thousand, one, thousand, two, thousand, three, a thousand, four, and if you hear it hit the ground within that time frame you can deploy your reserve chute from your your front and use that as a rope to shimmy down you're close enough to the ground well he took off his helmet dropped it and he didn't hear it hit and so he settled in for the night and he fell asleep and the search party found him and he was about three feet above the ground sound asleep in his parachute harness and his helmet is sitting on a bush right next to him and that's the rest of the story san francisco to los angeles so this is on era of time we did not have jetways we had a 737. This happened to be a 737, and we had this air stairs that, that people filed out, came up the steps. This particular day, it was extremely windy, <laughs> and I was standing at the door. We had to pull tickets at this yeah. at this period of time. This gentleman, I watched him. He had. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice him. You know the type of individual who is losing hair yeah. and decides to allow the hair to grow, and it's usually about maybe five strands. It looked like a turban. It wrapped around his head and had hairspray on it. You could yeah. miss that this was an odd shape of hair, kind of lopsided, but it went around several times. I couldn't tell you how long it was, but it was pretty obvious the guy had worked hard to get it so it looked like it was some kind of a actual hair actual hair that he could was fit for society or at least he thought he was anyway he had two briefcases one in each hand going up the steps was approaching the first the second step the gust of wind took his hair halo hair, very good hair halo i like that and flipped it over so that it just it was on the side of his head, and he, he couldn't stop to, to his uh, to to fix it because he had a briefcase in each hand. The steps weren't long enough to accommodate for the for the briefcases, so there there he was. He had to continue to come up the steps, and with each step, here with his his hair would bounce, and I I would laugh. There was nothing else I could do yeah. but laugh. And he had gotten up to the top of the platform, put down both briefcases simultaneously, pushed his, lifted his halo, hair halo, up, placed it back on his head, picked up the two briefcases, said, give me his ticket, good morning, and walked right in and sat down as if nothing had happened. Now that is somebody who can handle his due. 
The crew had just got in and we were down in the bar in the Doral having a drink before we went out to dinner and all of a sudden we see um, another Pan Am crew come in and they're all in uniform and they go straight to the bar, sit down and order drinks and we're looking at them and we're shocked and whispering and saying what on earth is going on. One of them sees us, comes over, recognizes us as being crew and said, we just want you to know what happened. We had got into the crew transportation from JFK and we could smell burning and we kept telling the driver, pull over, we can smell smoke, something's burning. The driver kept ignoring them. And then in the tunnel, all of a sudden the van burst into flames. They had to get out of the van. Everything went up in flames. Their garment bags, their bags, nothing. All they had were their uniforms. and. <laughs> They were so freaked out that all they could think about was going in the bar and having a drink. <laughs> they had been ten. They had not one stitch of clothing, nothing. Now that story reminded me of my own harrowing van ride story. I was, I was, I believe it was Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, and it was snowing out, and we were riding to the hotel in the crew van, and it was the crew van type where there's a row of seats on one side of the van and a row of seats on the other side of the van, and then a row of seats at the back. So it's sort of a U, and you sit facing each other, which a lot of vans have this configuration. And it was a particularly bad, stormy, snowy night, and the van was full of all crew members, and the driver started swerving and all of a sudden we did a complete 360 degree turn and went into the gulf of the median in between the highway. So we all basically ended up on top of each other in the middle of the van. But what was funny about it is that I'm sure people outside of the industry probably don't realize, but we go through this training every year, um, recurrent training where we have to simulate evacuations of aircrafts and we have to simulate the commands we would give if in fact the aircraft was coming to a crash and we have to yell to the passengers grab ankles heads down stay low grab ankles heads down stay low so this flight attendant as we started spinning on the freeway started yelling grab ankles heads down stay low in the van <laughs> which shows you actually that you know your training comes right there. It's right there. comes through in an emergency. Let's so this next story needs a little bit of an intro. At the moment, we are selling more things on the airplane than we ever have. You know, we have food available for purchase, and we need the ability to be able to swipe a credit card. So the airline came up with this handheld electronic device, and the first incarnation of this device would overheat. The darn thing would smoke. <laughs> That's what just, just what you need on an airplane. <laughs> okay, so this flight attendant calls up, and she goes, there, you know, I, I smell a, you know, a burning electrical smell. And uh, she wasn't sure where it was coming from. So we said, well, walk through the airplane and, you know, try and determine where it is. So she walks through the airplane and she comes back and she goes, it's, it's in the aisle and it's down around the uh, armrest level. And uh, so it turns out that she had the thing on her hip. On her <laughs> and so, so she could only smell it. 
down, you know, when she bent down, she could smell it. But uh, so you know, she, had, it she had our electrical advice in the pocket of her apron. Right. So and it was the one thing that was smelling. It was the batteries were overheating, and uh, you know, so. so every time she bent over, that's when she every, smelled that's it. That's when she smelled yeah, it. It's down, it's down low in the aisle. So. <laughs> and it's wherever I go throughout the whole plane. It's right? everywhere. <laughs> so I've been flying in charge a lot. Uh, every airline calls it something different. Some call it a purser, some call it a flight attendant in charge, flight leader. It's all the same. You know, you're in charge of the cabin and when something goes wrong, it goes right to you. And believe me, in the summer, a lot of things go wrong. So I could tell uh, during boarding when this man got on that he was probably going to be a problem because he was bringing a dog on board. And the rules are when you have a dog or a cat that you're bringing in the cabin, they have to stay in the carrier under the seat. And he's boarding the airplane, the dog's already out. And I was like, um, sir, just so you know, uh, you will need to keep the dog in the carrier under the seat. And he says, well, I will eventually, you know, sensing a little anger. So uh, he gets back there and uh, sure enough, after we take off, he immediately takes the dog out and puts it on his lap. And the fledge in the back tells him, sir, you know, you need to have your dog in the carrier under the seat. And uh, at this point, he threw his snack at her. So, ding dong, she calls out to me and said, you know, we got a guy throwing things, he's yelling, he's making the other people uncomfortable. So, in the middle of my service, in first class, I got to go back to deal with, with the mean guy with the dog out. So, I get back there and I'm like, sir, um, it is the rule that if you have a pet on, that you choose to bring in the cabin, you have to keep the pet in the carrier, under the seat. And he said, well, he'll suffocate under there. And I'm like, well, no, he won't because the bag you brought on board has bunch of holes in it and uh dogs are under the seat all the time nobody suffocates and uh he said well i have a dog so i should get a seat with more space and i'm like well no <laughs> all the seats are the same and uh unless you chose to buy a first class seat and everything's full anyway every seat's full he said well I don't see the difference. Why I don't see why I have to keep my dog in the carrier. Look, all these people have their kids out. <laughs> he, he actually thought that was a valid point, that if the kids weren't in a cage under the seat, his dog shouldn't have to be. <laughs> I was taken aback by that for a moment because it's like, um, well, no, sir, those are uh, human beings, and uh, we don't put them in bags under the seat. <laughs> Instances You just cannot press the rewind. No, you can't. Okay, so what happened? Okay, there was this flight attendant, and he's, uh, you know, he's very much a chameleon. He changes his hair color like he changes his underwear, you know. So, you know, we're doing the Honolulu, San Francisco, San Francisco run, so we were, um, had like a 12-hour layover. We had worked the all-nighter from Honolulu to San Francisco. And on the short layover in San Francisco, he'd gone to Walgreens and gotten some hair dye because he was going to dye his hair, you know, in Honolulu that night. Well, instead of doing that, they decide, he and this other flight attendant decided on the lower galley, the L-1011, to, to do it in the lower galley during, you know, while, while they were down there, out of the sight of passengers. So... They used the bins, they, they got warm water, and they used melted ice and got one of those big square metal bins. So this guy, he puts in, he, he does the whole shampooing in the color, lets in it galley. set in the galley. 
and the other flight attendants helping over this over the lower galley sink over there in the corner by the window is doing the rinse and into the sink and so the colors rinsing off into the galley sink well the the color he he had chosen red for his new color of choice so that when he landed he started in San Francisco as a blonde when he landed in Honolulu he was a redhead but when they were getting off the plane they looked out and they they saw the drain on the outside of the aircraft and there was a huge streak of red down the down the side of the aircraft from where the the um, drain where it drains out the side he dyed his hair in the galley landed with red hair in Honolulu The standard day in a Grand Canyon flight is you fly the people up there. It takes about an hour to fly up there. You sit around for about four hours at a buffet while they're going out to take the tour. They come back, they eat the buffet, then you take them back to Las Vegas. And this instructor is sitting there, or instructor at this point in time, he's a captain on a 402, and he is flying along and it's like, he's like, I smell apple juice. I smell potatoes. Mm, roast. And it's like he's like, roast beef. Mm. And you could just see his mouth salivating. He's a rather big guy. It's just like he likes his food. It turned out the lady behind him was up chucking. And basically she just had the exact same food that he did. It's just like she just was losing it in reverse order. About 10 years ago, actually 12 years ago, uh, I was a pilot on an MD-88 flight from Atlanta to Columbia, South Carolina. Short flight, and the clientele we had were mostly uh, natives of South Carolina. And it was on a uh, probably like a Saturday evening, about 6 o'clock in the evening in the summer. There was a huge line of thunderstorms moving on to the Atlanta airport. The sky was dark, and it just kind of cast a real ominous feeling at the airport, and we were fi- feeling this uh, um, urgency to get the flight out. Uh, but we had so much going on. We got to the plane late, so that added to the urgency, the, the rush feeling. And uh, when I got to the plane, I was told by a uh, uh, baggage loader that there was um, uh, a deceased person that would be put in the cargo bin. That added to the ominous feeling. It was just one of those eerie, something is out of you know, uh, place feelings. So anyway, we proceeded with the uh, um, loading of the cargo, and about that time, the thunderstorm rolled through, and there was lightning, so they shut the ramp down. All the ramp uh, people left the airplane, and uh, we basically sat there for about 20 minutes until it was opened back up. Again, just adding to the eerie feeling. Well, at that point, the the ramp crew came back out to uh, finish the uh, uh, loading and dispatches. And uh, we were about uh, ready to go. The passengers were uh, patiently uh, seated and ready for, uh, you know, some activity because we'd been delayed about an hour at that point. And before we uh, closed the front door, the um, lead ramp guy got on the headset to the cockpit and he called us and he said, "Uh, Sir, uh, I found a box. I was just loading it into the cargo bin and it's ticking. And we're concerned. Uh, I don't think we should put this in your cargo bin. Um, what would you like to do? 
And so we discussed it back and forth, and I've discussed it with the uh, other pilot in the in the cockpit, and it's like, uh, you know, we tried to get him to give us more uh, information, explain it a little bit. He says, all I can say is it's ticking. And my concern is it could be something, you know, explosive. So what we finally decided to do after talking with the gate agent and dispatcher was uh, the box was labeled with um, uh, the owner's name, and the owner was uh, traveling on the airplane. So we decided to bring the box up into the jetway at the aircraft door and make a PA requesting that the owner come forward and uh, resolve the situation right there in the jetway. And so uh, that's what we did. We made a PA, and uh, the lady's name was... Camellia Smith. Now, that's, I'm making that up, but it was something to that effect. It had a very southern sound to it. And this uh, young lady, probably about 25 years old, she was wearing gloves. No joke. She was wearing gloves, and she had a summer hat. And uh, she walked forward in a very prim way. Uh, she looked like a debutante, you know, or someone that, you know, uh, you would see at a garden party in the South. So she came forward, and uh, we explained what was going on, and her face got a little red, and uh, the uh, cargo, uh, the ramp person asked if she would open the box and let's resolve the situation. And so they did that. They cut open the box, and they were able to reach in and turn her vibrator off. And, uh, she, and, and at that point, the, uh, the crisis was uh, settled, and uh, the ramp... Uh, personnel loaded it back in the cargo bin and the uh, gate agent was content to close the door and send us on our way and as as the lady returned to her seat which was near the back of the aircraft whispers started filtering through the plane as what the situation was so that she was followed by a little little uh, whispering sound she she went to her seat sat down put her seatbelt on dropped her tray table and put her head on her tray table, just totally embarrassed. And it could not have happened to a, a more, you know, uh, elegant person, I guess you would say. And that's a true story. You just cannot contain it in a jar. Well, that's about it for this Harry harried episode of betting the sky with a suitcase i hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel the world together thanks bye <laughs> <laughs>